thank you very much indeed. Um, when I was asked what I wanted to call this uh, little moment that I was going to have before supper, I, I looked up on my wall and there I had pinned a bit of raggedy bit of paper um, that was given to me at the end of um, a discussion group that I attended about management cultures and I had been wittering on about ensemble. I'm not going to talk about very much that about that this evening. But at the end of the evening, a scientist came up to me and handed me this bit of paper and said, here is the fluid mechanics definition of an ensemble. It is an imaginary collection of notionally identical experiments. And I thought, God, that's rather fascinating. I'll stick that on my wall and sometime it'll be really useful. And when put on the spot on Friday afternoon at about half past four, I said, I'll talk about an imaginary collection of notionally identical experiments. (laughs) So there we are. Any further definitions, I refer to our learned scientists in the room, because I know nothing about fluid mechanics. Um, The RSC spends a lot of time thinking about ensemble, as indeed it should, being the largest ensemble in this country. And now bread rolls are going to start being thrown at me, as other people say, no, we are the largest ensemble in this country. Um, And the recent project that Eric has been referring to, apart from um, building buildings and sorting out the money and getting some decent plays on stage and and attracting new audiences and all these other things that we've been doing, has been to look at ourselves and how we work together. Because both Michael and I felt that as an organisation, the company was not working together very well, and it certainly couldn't be described as an ensemble. And that has resulted, really, in um, a lot of different initiatives which have created a much more cohesive and successful company and constructed a new way of working which is based on delegation, communication, empowerment and learning. Um, And there's going to be a demos report about it later on this year, which is a very scary thing to do, to actually set about uh, reconstructing your organisation and ask somebody else like Demos to come and watch you do it while, while you are. Um, and I have no idea at the end of the day whether this report is going to be interesting, boring, uh, acceptable or fascinating. We, we will wait and see. But it, is, but it is something that I have found extremely fascinating, taking on a large organisation which in, in very many ways, in terms of its management and its culture, was fairly dysfunctional. Anyway, it isn't really a thing, being an ensemble. It's actually a way of being. And during this time, Michael and I have found some principles of behaviour, really, um, that we have discussed in the organisation and introduced as a way of creating behavioural change. And as part of that, uh, we analysed the process that was gone through by 36 actors performing eight Shakespearean productions, which became the Histories Project, And Michael has talked a great deal about what he found in the rehearsal room and how that has transposed itself into methods of behaviour, ways of being throughout the organisation. And when I was thinking about what I would like to say about the funding system, and when I talk about the funding system, I mean everything. I mean the public and the private, the individual, the trusts, the foundations, the sponsors, and the Arts Council, the DCMS, and on and on and on, as we have been talking about today. I thought it might be useful to analyse some of the principles of behaviour that are necessary for a happy coexistence between the funder and the funded, and perhaps share a little anxiety with you about the future. I don't think we can deny that we are really interdependent, dependent on each other and each other's success. It doesn't matter who it is, really, a quango, the government a sponsor, a foundation, 
The moment that the funding package is in place, you are dependent on each other's success. You're tied in that Gordian knot spinning forwards towards the press night, the gala opening, or the unveiling of the statue. Nothing you can do. The money has been handed over into the hands of a group of creative individuals, and it will now run or be ruined as part of the deal. I bet everybody in this room has had the experience, perhaps the excruciating experience, of a moment when your funded hopes and dreams have turned to ashes, often very publicly, often sitting right next to the person who you asked for the money. Likewise, I don't know if I'm alone. I mean, the Royal Bank of Scotland has been mentioned a couple of times today, which is interesting because I wrote this down before anybody else had mentioned it. But I kind of share the pain of the organisers of the Six Nations Rugby Championship when that damn RBS sign appears in the middle of our TV screen every five living minutes. As a result of this, we all need to be extremely generous. We've all had that moment, or the equivalent moment, standing with a glass of wine, looking at the new painting next to the artist... Wondering what to say. (laughs) I recall very clearly standing next to Stephen Daldry's mother um, at the National Portrait Gallery with Alan Greve, chairman of the Gerwood Foundation, who had funded a very large portrait about the size of that picture at the end of this room um, um, of Stephen Daldry, Ian Rickson and Katie Mitchell. And we were standing in some silence when Stephen's mother said, it's absolutely ghastly (laughs) and trying to think of something to say like you do in stupid situations like this I said well yes there is a a lot of black (laughs) and she said the black is the best thing about it (laughs) related to generosity is knowing when to give a good idea and credit where credit is due to all the funders in this room and those that have departed to catch their trains. Because actually, over the years, much forward thinking has been done. And they have pushed us and they have shoved us forward into thinking about it. I can remember days long ago when fundraising was something we had to be encouraged to think about. We had to be encouraged to think about the amount of box office income we were getting in as opposed to the funding we were looking for. I remember being talked to very sternly about the fact that the organisation I was running didn't have a properly integrated education department. I remember very, very interesting conversations and indeed rows and arguments about audience development and how one might do it. And now, of course, we're being pushed and shoved into self-assessment. Ian's going to regret this. He's just reminded me about an Arts for Everyone scheme. I was going to say, I was just going to mention quickly here, incentive funding, which was, I think, probably the bete noir of uh, my day when uh, I was trying to extract money out of the Arts Council for a new idea. I'm very pleased to say I managed to get funding for a new burger van for uh, the um, London Bubble Theatre Company that I was running at the time, and I was absolutely delighted when I got my funding agreement because it said I had to put the incentive funding logo on the thing that I had received the money for. And so every park in London had this burger van which had 
in huge letters, this has been funded by the Arts Council. (laughs) (laughs) So we are forced, kicking and screaming, you push us forward, and then we have the audacity to turn and lecture you on how we have come to this brave new world. We're very, very good at retrospective ownership of good ideas, of passion and conviction and high-minded rhetoric, to make the funders feel as if they merely follow our talent. We make you often profoundly uncomfortable, the full frontal attack. Sometimes there's malice, there's hatred, and there's scorn. And that's not really very generous. And Alan used that word, generosity, this morning. And of course, I, along with the funders, am a blood-sucking administrator who get my fair share of it from time to time. So thank God for the next one, mutual respect. I did my time conscripted onto the drama panel uh, for many years. I also chaired the project committee, which was a very, very miserable job, handing out a very small amount of money to a very large number of groups who wanted to do small and middle-scale touring. And I advised on a number of what are now called peer groups, but in those days was the much maligned appraisal system. I actually decided in the end that the appraisal system had been invented by Arts Council officers in order to gain respect from those funded organisations that they managed to convince should come along with them on the journey. My particular moment was when I was booked into um, a hotel in Sheffield by the Arts Council, turned up rather late at night, was shown to a room... The, which, um, well, we had to avoid, it was about 11 o'clock at night, we had to actually avoid on our way to the room several extremely drunk people and a couple of girls who I'm pretty sure were definitely on the game. We finally arrived at the room and I was let in by this sort of aged retainer who said, I'm really sorry, the lock doesn't work, the phone doesn't work and I'll get somebody to come and clear up all that broken glass in the corner later on. It was one of the most miserable nights of my life, and when I joined my Arts Council colleagues the next morning, I did say to them, you now really, really do have my respect, because out on the road, boy, you guys can suffer. Honesty has to be combined with empathy, and you talked about empathy this morning. Here things get meatier, perhaps, and trickier, but we all owe it to ourselves to give a great deal of honesty in the process of sharing the journey between the funder and the funded. I would argue that failure to implement results of very honest reviews, two appraisals I did when I was at the Arts Council, had clear and thought-through conclusions, and neither of which were implemented by a weak Arts Council, not wishing to rock the local boat. And both institutions still limp on. Funders shouldn't waste people's time asking them to apply for money that they're simply not going to get. Fake equality is a sham. Know your view and be brave enough to state it. Look, we all know when it's good, but just sometimes there isn't enough money to go around. And we also know when it's crap. There's a wonderful, I hope not apocryphal story told to me about Arthur Askey, who was visited by a friend of his who came round after the show and did the usual, you know, darling Arthur, you were absolutely marvellous. Such a shame the show is closing. Was it the reviews? And Arthur said, no, it wasn't the reviews. It's the word of mouth that's killing it. (laughs) (laughs) Flexibility. To survive at the RSC these days, you really do have to be comfortable living in an ambiguous world. Ideas are there to be challenged. Status is earned, not demanded. 
and decisions must be open and discussed and justified. I would define inflexibility as the scheme thought up by a few for the good of the many. I think it's death to creativity and change. Being in a constant state of change is the prerogative of the artist and the burden of the funder. Selflessness. To ensure the success of the whole of us tied together in this relationship, we actually do need to make the weak look strong. How many arts organisations really share information? And how many funders have really useful information that they don't share? The last, and it's come up several times today, is trust. Usually typified in the arts by somebody falling backwards grandly from a table into another's arms in a warm-up game on team building. But really, trust is perhaps the trickiest one of all if we go back to my first point, which was really all about risk. You can't factor it out, and we spend most of our lives either trying to or explaining why we can't factor risk out of what we do. So some principles. But why is the whole thing, the interconnection between these real or imaginary collections of experiments, so important? Why are the arts flourishing so much at the moment? I do believe that they're stronger today than ever. And I feel it's because we've largely been left alone and trusted and valued. And as a result, we're more effective than ever. And because the whole creative process between the artist and the audience is so comfortable in its mutual success and appreciation, it has now engaged in a dialogue. This was actually happening before the funders noticed. But notice they have... And with the time-honoured shove, they're kicking it forward and into touch. However, I would argue, do not be fooled, because one idea is never the solution. The whole interconnected system must function for the whole process to succeed and produce a healthy, creative society, a healthy group of creative artists, and a healthy, creative, productive funding system. If the funding system doesn't look at the whole piece and reflect upon the interconnections between effectiveness and value and quality, it hasn't really taken creativity into account. And if it ignores one element of malfunction, then it fails to offer the advice it should. It shouldn't turn a blind eye to the things it sees as wrong and ask for the improvement it requires. The relationship between the funders and the funded fail when the funders confuse empowerment with interference and the funded confuse trust with freedom. Analyzing the principles of behavior, the rules of the game, we can perhaps identify the unidentifiable, the connection between the unrelated experiments of the artists and the funders' requirement that they relate. The fact is that creative success is random and the requirement from the funders is for a formula that can measure an ambiguous world. I put it to you that this new idea, this self-assessment, is not coming from the funders or from the audience. It's actually happening anyway. That the ability for the audience to feed back to the artist is speeding up because of blogs and Facebook and Twitter. God knows the RSC is now Twittering, apparently. (laughs) And we're also in second life. 
The channels are open, whether we like it or not. And whether we value it or not, we are all talking now and we're all going to have to listen. And so for me at that moment, the old instinct starts to re-emerge. How to protect the creative spirit from all this noise, this feedback, this evaluation, this honesty, which doesn't always come with empathy. And for folks like me, this has probably been the last 30 years of my professional life. So just for a minute, after a day of talking about process, let's remember the truth of why we fund the arts. Let's look over there to the corner of the room, for they're mostly observers at events like this and at this time of day. And remember that sitting there silent and shy, paralysed by the fear of rejection, is the artist, the poet, the actor, the writer, the composer and the dancer. They may actually be five years old, or 15, or 50. But I believe our collective job is to give them a voice and let them be heard.